This is Paul Watson, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair, and the weekend started so well for us here at Focus Towers with a virtual quiz night on Friday night. But sadly, the Fulham team couldn't add to the tally of 12 points on Saturday evening as a late Mason Mount goal won the game for Chelsea in the cottage as Anthony Robinson saw red before half-time for a heavy tackle on Cesar Azpilicueta. The games don't get any easier either with Manchester United at the cottage on Wednesday. We've got a bumper show full of reaction and preview coming up with Baldo and Will to talk through all the key points. So let's go. Fulham. Right then, boys. So the Chelsea game then, we knew that Ruben Loftus-Cheek was unavailable to face his parent club. And I guess it made sense for Adamola Lutman to return in his place. Any complaints, Will? Not for me. Uh, I assume Lamina had COVID because he's been out for a while. And, you know, same with maybe Kearney, although apparently he might have a little training injury. But yeah, the only thing I can think of really is Lamina coming in for Reed, But Reed's doing a decent job at the moment anyway. Um, otherwise, it was all pre, pre-standard, pre pretty normal. No Mitro again, but again, it's been said that he has a little injury. So you couldn't have really done much with the lineup with RLC not being able to play really. Yeah, I agree with you. How about how about for you, Baldo? Any any other changes you would potentially have made? It's it's good to see Kenny Tesse back and being straight in form as well, isn't it? It is absolutely. I think he he was one of our better players, you know, in the start of the season. Then he obviously had his time off. My only real complaint came on the bench because we only managed to name eight substitutes out of a possible nine. And I do think I know I've been calling out for the likes of Fabio Carvalho, and I'm not saying that he definitely would have been able to make an impact. But I just do think in that, given the you know the situation that we're in, I think for Scott to name you know, to name a non-full bench, I think is kind of stupid on his on his part. Maybe he's doing it to send a message, as some managers tend to do. He's sending a message to the board saying, I don't have enough players, please buy me some in the window. And if that and if that was the reason, then fair enough. But even so, to not name a full bench when you've got you know, quality and well, not quality, but you've got depth available <laughs> to you was a bit weird. That's, it's, if that was the reason to send a message, I don't think Scott Parker is Slavisa Djokanovic. I don't think he's that type of person and I don't think he's that type of manager. And it just strikes me as bizarre. In in the month when you can roll the 25-man squad around, you could have just put anybody on the bench. Like you say, one of the one of the youngsters. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I'm not saying that that's definitely what happened. Again, it would have been out of character. He's not Spicy Kanovic as well. But even you know, the likes of Seri could have done, could have had added something as poor as he has been. Or in the second half, when everything happened, which we're going to talk about, Kevin McDonald adding some solidity, or Stephanie Hansen. There are options there for us. I just don't see why he didn't choose to use them, or at least, or at least have the option to use them. Could have just given one of the youngsters a, a kind of confidence boost as well, just to be in and around the first team squad for for the West London derby. It's weird. What do you reckon, Will? To be honest, I think the only kind of excuse or reason I can think of why he didn't name a ninth was because he might have had a sub ready to go, like Congolo. I know he's been named on the bench recently, and maybe he's just got a last minute injury. You know, they've turned up yes. to the 
Con- Congolo's injured. He got an, he got a knock in training, and he's going to be out for a few weeks. Oh, maybe if his training is different, but maybe he just had a sub ready, and we tur- turn up to the cottage, you know, with them nine subs, and one of them gets injured. You can't then just you know call someone up to come from their house whilst they're just sitting there to to come and sit on the bench for a West London derby. It doesn't really work like that, especially when you've still got eight subs available. I don't think it makes too much of a difference. If it is a message to Tony Khan, I'd I'd be surprised, like you guys say, that Scott is the type of manager to do that. But you never know, do you? Yeah, all right. Well, let's come on to the game then, Will. Chelsea had the better of the opening 25 minutes, I would say. Ariola was colossal at the back again, but it was the crossbar that saved him from Mason Mount when Anthony Robinson's poor header away landed on his boot. Give me your summary of the opening stages of the game. Yeah, like you say, Chelsea were definitely putting us under a lot of pressure. And there was some dodgy defending moments. Like you say, Robinson's dodgy clearance. And I think there was one more. I can't remember who it was. But uh, yeah, there there were some dodgy bits. But I do think besides those little individual errors, we do look, we do defend as a unit much better than we used to. And we do look, you know, we were solid enough just about to keep them out. And we were starting to get into the game towards the end of that 25-minute store, starting to counter a bit better. And I think that is why we sort of ended the second half quite strongly in the end, despite, you know, the incident. Baldo? Yeah, it's pretty much part of the course. As I mentioned in the Tottenham review on whenever night the Tottenham review was, um, this is this is what we expect from Scott Parker, especially against bigger sides. They are going to have most of the possession. They are probably going to have most of the most of the chances. It's just our job to keep them at bay for as long as possible. And we were and we were doing that, as you said. Ariola made some good saves. I think you know we'll mention there were some dodgy defensive moments, but for the most part, they were you know holding their own. And you know we did. And even going forward, we managed to create a couple of chances. So this is what we're going to have to get used to moving on the rest of the season, at the very least against the big sides. I don't know if things are going to change when we play, you know, uh, Brighton and West Brom in a couple of weeks. But when we get the likes of Man City coming back again and when we play Liverpool again, you're going to have to get used to this is what we're going to do. Yeah, so it's this new formation, isn't it, of kind of 3-4-3 or even 5-2-3, depending on, you know, how you utilise those those fullbacks. And I think Morgan said today when we were chatting that the the kind of the wing back formation reminds him of Kevin Keegan when Kevin Keegan was manager and Kevin Keegan was renowned for this attacking formation where wherever he was actually wherever he managed but especially with with Fulham as well you know he he played that that three across the back with the wing backs with the wing backs being Rufus Brevett and Steve Finnan and and we had the forward forwards there and we had the midfielders to create chances for some excellent forwards at the level we were playing at and okay now we kind of, when we have five at the back, we look more resolute in defence and we look less likely to concede. Um, but going forward, we just don't have those players in the attacking positions to take advantage. And I don't know, it. it I, I still feel like watching Fulham at the moment, I know, you know, Danny was, was a big one that said about it last season and, and a few of us would have said it as well, that watching Fulham under Scott Parker in the Championship, whilst... Whilst it was effective football and we did grind out results, it was pretty boring. And I don't really see that the change of formation has changed that much this season, if I'm honest with you. I don't feel entertained that much because apart from the odd one or two moments in the Premier League, we're we're not creating enough chances. 
And all right, it's improved since the start of the season where we were leaking goals. That had to improve. Otherwise, we were just going to go down with the lowest points total ever. But now I, I just don't really feel like I'm entertained by watching Fulham. What, what do you guys think about that? Uh, I see. I do see what you're saying. And I think, it, like you say, it has improved since the start of the season. But really, when we're playing against Chelsea, I don't want to try the Slavisa way or, if you like, you know, holding the ball possession. And it might look good. You might try a few fancy passes, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work against Chelsea, not going to work, work against Liverpool, not going to work against Leicester. If we can uh, grind results and, you know, only lose by one goal to Chelsea or draw against Liverpool or beat Leicester... For me, I don't need to be that entertained. That result for me is entertaining enough, just knowing that we actually have a chance against these big teams when in 18-19, we were nowhere near having a chance against these, you know, the top six and the big sides. So to be honest, I'm happy knowing, I'm happy going into games knowing we can win every single game we play or at least get something out of it when other seasons we haven't thought that. Yeah, and there, there does need to be that trade-off. I know towards the end of the the promotion season under Jukanovic, you know, I was pretty much an advocate of, you know, because we were in that battle with Cardiff City and Cardiff City's style of play wasn't exactly the most thrilling either. And I think so long as we're getting the results, I don't care what kind of football we are playing. So towards the end of last season, we were getting the results and it ending with us being promotion. In that sense, by all means, play how you want. But in this season, you do have to argue, are we getting the results that we need or merit or require to stay up? No. And again, this goes back to what we've said before, you know, with Matt Dobbins bringing the point, you know, are these good points as it were against the likes of Spurs, Liverpool and, you know, good performance against Man City. If this, if this formation and this style of play does get us points to keep us up, then I'm not going to complain. But the way but things it, are going... So is it? Is it getting that, us points? That, that's what, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think against if we can pick up the one point here and there against Liverpool and against Spurs, that's fine. But it's when we translate that into the games against Brighton and West Brom and Sheffield United when we played them, and you know we're going to have to play Newcastle again. You know we already have done. That's when you have to think. Right, is this style effective? That's where the problem is. I don't mind how you're playing so long as you're getting the results. And are the results there? You can you can argue no, and that's going to be the problem. Well, five minutes before the break, we broke superbly. This was the sort of thing that we need to be seeing from Fulham if we're if we're going to stay up. That kind of counter attack in play. Lookman backheeled the ball to Anthony Robinson, and he pulled away down the left, picked out Kenny Tete, and he could have had a shot, Kenny Tete, but he spotted that Cavalero was unmarked on the penalty spot, squared it to him. And Cavalero once again showed no composure whatsoever and just miskicked it, put it over the crossbar. We carved Chelsea open. It would have been a superb goal, but is that going to be the story of our season, lads? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame. I know we've talked on this podcast before and we know we mentioned it. Alexandra Mitrovic, and those are the positions you want him to be in. And you can make the argument, you know, Caviero is a lot more faster. So would Mitrovic have been able to keep up with the play and put himself in that position? You know, arguably he could. But if he is in that position, I reckon Mitrovic scores that. But it's whether or not he actually manages to get in that position in the first place. He would have been. He would have been. That that wasn't that much of a fast counter-attack. That wasn't breaking breaking from our penalty area. Everybody just tears forward. All the whippets go forward. That was... You know, there was a bit of hold-up play by Lutman on the halfway line when he back-heeled it. 
Tete took a touch. There would have been plenty of time. Mitrovic would have been in that position had he been on the pitch. Okay, in which case I'll concede the point to you. But it does it does then make the argument, if Mitrovic isn't going to be there, then we do need that forward in there who's going to be able to, who is going to be able to convert those chances. Because those chances, you may, against those, these big sides, you may only get one. And realistically, we only did get that one. And you have to be there to take it. And Caballero, as well as he did against Spurs with his effort, you're adding your hands. The fact that you can do it against Chelsea. Caviero just isn't a centre-forward, is he? I prefer him on the wing. I think he's more effective as a winger. But if you're playing him as a centre-forward, then you're setting yourself up to fail. I'm sorry. What do you reckon, Will? Yeah, 100%. As you say, Mitrovic, for me, if he's there, he's scoring that. Sorry, he scored 26 goals in the Championship. Like I know, yeah, it's a league below Premier League. And I don't care if he doesn't fit the system. He's better than Cavalero. If we sign a proper striker who's played up front, who's fast, who fits the system, yeah, fair enough. But Cavalero is not a proper striker. He's done that exact same thing before. In a penalty, he missed a penalty and he did the exact same thing. He chops the ball with both his feet. like He he kicks it and it comes off his standing foot. He did the same thing with the penalty when he blasted it over. Uh, It's just so frustrating. And surely 10 yards out, like you say, you've got to have composure there. He's got himself in the position, fair enough. But it's just just hit it straight, hit it hard. The goalie's scrambling to try hit and get the target. back, and he's, he's hit it over. Hit the target. That's the one thing you've got to do from there. It's inexcusable not to, because he was unmarked. You just have to hit it forwards. The goal's right in front of you. All right, well, let's move on from Caballero for now, then. It was, it was a strong finish to the first half from Fulham, having soaked up the pressure, but then Anthony Robinson was sent off right on half-time for a tackle on Azpilicueta. It wasn't the worst tackle you'll see, but it probably was a red by the letter of the law. Certainly was for me anyway. What, what did you make of it, Baldo? Yeah, I think it's a red. You can't really get away with that. I've always been of the view that, you know, in, in sort of most tackles, as long as you get a bit of the ball, then... If you get the man afterwards, then you should be cleared of anything because you've got the ball sort of thing. In that instance, I know there's been that freeze frame that's gone around social media and everything, but in that situation, and let's be honest, Aspilicueta has made it look worse than that. So he probably contributes to it. But overall, when you go in like that, you are asking for trouble. So yeah, red card, you've got no complaints for me on that front. Even that freeze frame though, the, his foot's right on the top of the ball. And you can kind of manipulate pictures to to kind of tell tell the story that, you know, fights your side of the argument, I suppose. So I can see why Fulham fans would do that. But it's just, it's his follow through with his knee that completely goes through the player. What did you think, Will? Yeah, I think it was a red. Um, so I did a poll on Twitter and 56% of people said it wasn't a red. And that, that surprised me because, look, I, I do get both sides. The fact that it was his trailing leg that went through uh, through his leg and it was his knee and not his studs but realistically he's gone in too hard too late and and just recklessly of, of course it's frustrating how Aspilicueta like you know rolled around a bit but these days that's what players do if we did that and one of Chelsea players got sent off we would say oh yeah that's just how football is nowadays that is how it is and it was a red yeah, it's it's frustrating the timing of it as well, right before half time when we were just beginning to get ourselves into the ascendancy and it, it kind of killed the game. It killed any chance that we had of um of picking up three points from the game. That being said, um 
just in the second half, Cavalero had another good chance when lack of communication between Aspilicueta and Chelsea keeper Mendy um, saw the ball free. But once again, Cavalero picked the ball up, lacked any cutting edge. Lads, we really need a striker this month, don't we? I know we've said it so many times, but we we so desperately need a striker and, and our, our kind of season depends on it. Yeah, we, we definitely do. It wasn't an easy chance. It was probably harder than his first chance, but it was just a bit all over the place. A different striker, you know, might have got himself into a better position, had a better first touch um, or, or shot differently. I was very, I was really impressed with Cav against Spurs. I thought his header was great and he, he suddenly started doing good hold-up play and much better dribbling. But he really isn't a striker. And for me, this game was the one that really emphasised the fact that he's not played striker for hardly any of his career. Again, though, just going back to that Spurs game, it was a very good header by Caviero against Spurs. We can't take that away from him. But does Mitrovic not score that as well? Yeah, he should do, really. And look, we might have to change our play a bit. We might have to put in more crosses. But for some reason, whenever Mitrovic is out the side, we seem to cross more than, than ever. And I feel like when he when he is in the side... He gets starved of chances. But recently, ever since Cavalera started to play out front, I'm just thinking, if that's Mitro, if that's Mitro, if that's Mitro, or yeah. if it's just someone who can shoot. It's it's a shame. It's a shame. And I, we're, we're really turning this into uh, the, the Cavallero, um beat-up show, if you like. And, and we shouldn't do really because he, he's done all right. But just when it comes to those clear-cut chances at this level, you're expecting your striker to take them. And if, if your striker doesn't take them, then it's it's going to be it's going to be trouble for you, and and that's where we find ourselves. And and you know we are we're in the bottom three because of it. Yeah, that's the thing is that he did all right, but in the position we're in, we can't deal with all right. You know, Leeds United, the position they're in, can deal with Patrick Bamford having an all right game, but at the moment we we can't do that. We need to have everyone firing one hundred percent, and if we don't have the people within the squad to do it, then get them out and bring someone in who can. But in the second half, the ball spent most of its time in the Fulham half. Yeah, I didn't ever really feel like we were up against it, despite the fact that Chelsea had the one-man advantage. And it was just a bit of a, a, a kick in the in the balls, wasn't it? 12 minutes before the end, Mason Mount scored. And it just all felt a little bit too easy, the way that he did it in the end. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Ariola could have done better. He's sort of flapping at it, but... At the end of the day, I don't really think you can blame him. He's getting pelted with shots all game and he's won us points single-handedly. Um, you know, he kept us in that game. I, I thought we defended well, but with with 10 men and against Chelsea, who do have a strong attack, we just couldn't hold on for long enough. I think we did well to hold on at, until then, really. And it was it was inevitable, as much as you hate to say it. I don't think you, as you say you don't can't blame Ariola, but at the same time, you just because of what he's done in the bar, he doesn't get a free pass on this one. In that situation, he has to do better. Either tip it over the bar or tip it wide and away from there. To put it straight back into the box is asking for trouble. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to put this all on him, but there is just that little thing. You know, again, as we've said before, that's an all right performance from him overall when you balance it out. We can't do that. We can't have mistakes like that because it will cost us games. Especially in games, especially in games like this. Against the Brighton or West Brom, who we're gonna mention every single time tonight, with their, you know, strikers not exactly the best quality, you may get away with that. Against Chelsea, not gonna happen. 
And of course, once they've got themselves in front, then that's it, game over really, isn't it? Because we were just really throwing all of our eggs in in the basket of not conceding and hoping for a nil-nil after that red card. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, I do still think we had a few decent counter-attacks. I think it's good we didn't just sit back the whole time. But like you say, as soon as they score, especially with 12 minutes left, maybe if it was earlier on in the half, it could have been different. But with 12 minutes left and we've got one man down to, you know, one less man to attack with against one more man defending, it's very, very hard to get a goal back. Well, Caviero went off for Onoma just after the goal. Then Bobby Reed and Ola Aina came off for Abubakar Kamara and Joe Bryan with just seven minutes left. Any thoughts on the substitutions? They they don't strike me as anything for Frank Lampard or Chelsea to particularly worry about in, in the closing stages of the game, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. But I think in the long term, for me, Onoma coming on is such a good thing. And I've said this a few times on the on the chat. Um, I still think he has a future at Fulham, to be honest. And I hope he gets submitted into the 25-man squad at the end of the month. Because uh, he's young, he looked good in the championship. Obviously, after that first half, everyone was, you know, a bit bit skeptical. But he really, really brought it back, and and the fans loved him towards the end of that season. Kamara again, very meh. Um, I know a lot of people really, really dislike him, but I like to think I'm not really one of those people. I think he can sometimes make an impact, whether that's not a goal or assist. I do think he offers something different attacking. Um, he has he hasn't been good this season though, and he is running out of chances because a lot of people are on his back already, and it's just growing and growing after every game he comes on in. The thing is with Kamara, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Kamara, but I I don't want to I don't want to slag him off, particularly not in this game because he he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but he does give you that outlet. So you bring him on and stick him up front. And when we're up against it, if we're trying to hold out for a point or we're, we're holding out to, to hold on to a narrow lead, then you can kick it up to him and he'll hold on to the ball and just run with it. He doesn't go anywhere with it particularly, but it does, it does run down the clock and it kills some time. And I think that's the advantage of it. But, you know, you saw, I don't want to go back over the Spurs game, but there were a couple of incidents in that game where he could have done things differently. And and it's just, he's that's why he's frustrating. Um, but I can see why he's still in and around the squad and, and why Parker would bring him on late in a game, but not necessarily in a game where you're trying to chase it. Baldo? No, no, I think yeah, I just I think there there are some limitations to this game and you know, sometimes where you want him, sometimes where you don't. I think just just going back to the initial question like of the substitutions, I think the fact that Ola Aina came off and it was replaced with Joe Bryan, I think was more of a thing. Because that that substitution there indicates that he's not trying to win the game. Other or has basically given up at this point because otherwise you'd have brought on someone like Cabano, for instance, to play someone more of an attacking threat, threat rather than defender for defender. So I think that was probably looking ahead to looking ahead to the next game to get Aina some rest, um, which is okay, but just didn't quite sit well with me just because from that point you're basically giving up, and I'm not quite a fan of that. Okay, well, in the last seconds of the game, Timo Werner had the freedom of Craven Cottage to add a second goal for Chelsea, but missed the target altogether. Plus, Aspilicueta blazed over when he had quite a good opportunity. Do you guys think that 1-0 flattered us in any way in the end, or do you think it was a fair result? I I don't think so, uh, because they they had chances they should have scored. You know, Werner should have scored that chance. Um, But we should have had two chances 
um, that Cav should have scored. And uh, it could have been a 1-0 loss. It could have been a 3-2 loss. It could have been a 2-1 loss. I think one goal, it, it's a fair result. Losing by one goal was fair. I think we sort of defended fairly well and we did create chances, although they weren't taken. I think it was fair. Yeah, same point. I think on the fair reflection, thing, and again, when you factor in the fact we had to play 45 minutes with 10 men, was always going to change you know, the outcome and the best result of the game. So yeah, 1-0 probably seems fair on the on the balance of things. Well, we spoke about it before the, the Spurs game and we were looking ahead to Spurs, Chelsea, Manchester United and thought, well, how many points realistically are we going to get from these games? And we said that probably one point from those three games would be a good return. And of course, we got that one point away at Spurs. So this result isn't the end of the world, is it? Definitely not. Um, the players are building forward so well together. You know, they're they're looking forward to the next game. You can tell they look they look good on the pitch together. They look confident playing with each other. And I do think in the second half of this season that we can beat a lot of teams from eighth downwards. I, I really think we can, and we're looking better. And I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna hit a slump where we get worse. I I can only see us going getting better, going up, and hopefully that will just reflect on results eventually. That being said, though, for all of our resolute defensive displays recently, we've still only got two wins all season. And with a impressive away wins for Brighton and West Brom this weekend as well, Baldo, is our failure to pick up wins a concern or are you relaxed that results will come if we keep playing well? I think there is a slight concern because there is some, you know, there's only so much you can, can control. And we had this debate after the draw with Liverpool. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a great result. And then someone went on one. I think Brighton may have like uh, got a point against Man City. There was some other result that weekend that kind of deflated you a little bit to say, oh, well, that kind of takes, it, takes the shine off it a little bit. No, it's Burn- Burnley won at Arsenal. Burnley won at Arsenal. Thank you. That's what it was. I can't remember what it was. Um, but, yeah, so there is some element. We can't keep relying on teams to be bad. Like Sheffield United, we can more or less count, I think, count out of the equation. Um, and I know someone was saying on Twitter earlier that West Brom don't really threaten them. That's fine. If you want to cast the two below us out of the equation, that's absolutely fine. But it's the teams above us around us, the likes of Brighton and um, the likes of Brighton, who are going to be picking up these points. I think those teams are, are can arguably be better than us. So that is the one thing. So, yeah, even though we have started playing well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. We need the results to go with it. Yeah, I agree. Of course, it's a bit of a concern. But like I said, I think we look good and I think we can beat quite a few teams in the league. Um, I'm confident and optimistic and it's just much better that way. There's no point worrying about it or worrying about what other teams are doing. You've just got to watch your team and hope they do the best that they can. And that's all you can hope for, in my opinion. Well, let's come on to a man of the match then. I don't always do this when we uh, when we've lost. But I felt like it was an okay performance uh, against Chelsea under very difficult circumstances. So, Will, who would you give man of the match to? Uh, I'm going to give it to Anderson, captain on the night. And I'm going to hit you with some stats here. Nine clearances, two blocked shots, three interceptions. He wasn't dribbled past once. He made four, four ground duels, three aerial duels and won all of them. He just looks so confident in defence. And I think he's raising the whole team around. The, the defence looks solid now, like I've said, and it was unlucky. He's going to feel very unlucky to concede with the way he played, I think. 
Um, a bit cliche for me, but I'm probably going, going to go for Angie. So I think he did incredibly well in midfield. And even going forward as well, there was one point early in the second half. I think it may have been just before that whole uh, mishap at the back from Chelsea. But he did really well in the court, in the in the corner of the on the corner of the pitch and tried to create a chance. And he fed it off to Harrison Reed, who had a decent shot. I think that sort of exemplified that it just showed what a class player he is. And as much as we slayed him for his first season with us, but it just goes to show how class of a player he is. Fair enough. I think I was going to go for Ariola. I just, I thought he had a good first half and it's just a shame that I guess he's kind of uh, unfortunate, let's call it. Um, palm away led to the goal but I thought otherwise he didn't really put a foot wrong um, and I absolutely love Ariola. I think he's the best keeper that we've had in years so I would I would have given it to him but anyway um, let's come on to a Scott Parker rating for the Chelsea game Will I've given him a seven and a half I don't think he well obviously he couldn't have done much about the sending off and I think he probably put out the best team he could have with the injuries and the players so he had quite a few good chances. Again, he can't do anything about Cav missing that. I mean, you know, he can train him to become a better finisher, but it's not really anything you can do. You know, every striker would be scoring that chance. And I think it's a shame we didn't get a point out of the game. So seven and a half for me. Yeah, I would have gone for a seven, personally. Um, I was disappointed that Cavalero was in the position to miss that chance in the first place. I, I don't think he, he should be playing down the middle at all. But I guess right now, who else have we got? Maybe Bobby Reed to play there. I think Bobby Reed's probably a better finisher than Caballero, pound for pound. And of course, we just don't know what's going on with Mitro. So seven out of 10 for me. What about you, Baldo? Yeah, I, th- I think a seven is fair. Again, there's, as I've said so many times, there's only so much he can control. Um, and when you're dealt with and to play the second half with 10 men, yeah, your hands are tied in that situation. So there's only so much he can do. Um, he gets a couple of points off, as, as I mentioned earlier, for the substitution and you know the, the attitude that I think reflects that. So, But again, he set up well and probably had the right starting 11 team selection. So, yeah, he couldn't do much wrong. So a seven. All right. Well, the game's come thick and fast. We've got Manchester United at home on Wednesday at Craven Cottage. So let's have a look ahead to that. Fulham. Right then. So, Will, what have you made of Manchester United this season? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems to have turned it around, having been on the brink of the sack at one point. He does seem to always do that, to be fair. As soon as there's talks of him getting sacked, he seems to turn it around. Um, Bruno looks great and they are looking better defensively, especially after keeping a clean sheet against Liverpool today or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to it. Uh, I don't want to be pessimistic, and I still think we may get a draw, but out of the three games, Spurs, Chelsea and obviously United, I, I am most worried about this one when I saw the three fixtures coming up. Well, Manchester United, they've been a funny old team this season. They started off really bizarrely. They lost 3-1 at home to Crystal Palace. Their next home game after that, they lost 6-1 at home to, to Spurs. And then they drew nil-nil with Chelsea at home. That, that was their, their first three home games. And then they lost 1-0 at home to Arsenal. Since then, they've, um, they've won four games and they've drawn two uh, at Old Trafford. But their away form this season is the real concern, particularly because they're, they're coming to Craven Cottage. They've played nine, they've won seven and they've drawn two, one of which was today away at Liverpool. 
and the other the other game that they drew was at Leicester around Christmas time. But otherwise, they've just been they've been blowing teams out of the water and and they've been falling behind in a lot of these games as well and coming back to win them. So they're really resolute. So it's it's going to be such a difficult game to get anything from Baldo. Yeah, absolutely. And I was discussing this with Will before before you came onto the chat. And I was like, I this somewhat goes into the score prediction, but if you look at what they have and what we've had to face recently, I think they have got one of the better attacking and creative options with the likes of Fernandez, Pogba, Greenwood if he's fit, Rashford, Martial, all that lot. Cavani if he's playing. I think they have a deadly, you know, uh, possible front, you know, attacking uh setup. So it's going to be incredibly it's going to be an incredibly hard job for our lot. You know, as much as we've improved improved at the back, the the test is going to be incredibly much harder for them to deal with. Paul Pogba divides opinion though, doesn't he? He that you don't ever really feel like he wants to be at United, yet he's still there and he's he's still putting in some performances. I think was it his agent that said earlier in the season that he f- he'd fancy a move? Was it to Real Madrid or something like that? And yet now he's he's back in the side and and well, I think are they top of the league at the moment? I think they are. So I don't know. I, I, it's very difficult to see exactly how we're going to get anything out of this game. Right. Well, let's have a little look at the stats then. Um, so our recent record against them, as you might expect, it's not been the greatest. Our last 12 games against them have been te- uh, 10 losses and two draws. Uh, but before that, we managed to get back-to-back wins against them, both at home in the Premier League in consecutive seasons, both memorable days. Uh, March 2009, in the 08-09 season, it was a 2-0 win, a Danny Murphy penalty, and then Zoltan Gira's acrobatic goal right at the end. Um, a great win against a full-strength United side that helped us towards our seventh-place finish. And in December 2009, this was off the back of the Basel um, win. We managed to win 3-0 against a very depleted Man United side because they were going through some problems at that point. Um, we, but we went one goal better with goals from uh, Danny Murphy, Bobby Zamora and Damian Duff in the game that Frenchie was too tired to attend to having come back from Basel that day. Um, the only other win we got against United in the Premier League era was the famous one uh, at Old Trafford 3-1 with goals from Lee Clark, Steve Nabronk and Yunichi Inamoto. Um, but before that, we got to go a long way back because our last win against them was back in September 1964, a 2-1 win in the old Division 1. Um, we went unbeaten in our first eight games against United between the years 1905 and 1924. So hopefully we can get that streak back on track. Let's take a look at their stats this season as well. Um, as you might expect, they've improved since they're now top of the table. Their points per game have gone up from 1.7 to 2.1. Averaging two goals per game, however, there is a stark difference between home and away form when it comes to goals scored. At Old Trafford, they've been scoring just 1.3 goals per game, but in away games, they have been averaging at least 2.8 goals per game. So that's why, as we hinted, it might be a little bit tricky for them. Uh, 62% of their goals they score have come in the second half of games, and they are 11 points better off at this point of the season than they were this time last season. So it just shows the improvement they've made. Interestingly, their opponents have scored first in 8 out of 18 games they've played this season. Um, United themselves have only scored first in seven games, very much the comeback king so far this season. Fergie-esque, if you want to put it that way. Uh, 71% of their goals have come from open play and 15% of them have come from penalties. Yeah, and if we have a look at the key players, Fernandez has just won his fourth Player of the Month award in the last 12 months, more than any other player ever has done. 
He currently has 11 goals and seven assists, which is their top scorer and top assister. Um, you know, he's their main man and he makes the team click. Only Kane and De Bruyne have more assists and he averages 3.1 key passes per game and 3.2 shots. So we, we do have to watch out for him. And another attacker, Marcus Rashford, when he's not helping fix poverty, uh, he's out on the pitch and being very dangerous for United. He's got seven goals and five assists so far this season. And his preferred position is out wide on the left, although he does sometimes play up front. He loves a long shot with five out of his seven shots have come from inside the penalty box. And like I said earlier, with their clean sheet against Liverpool, I did think their defence has got better until Baldo read out their stats. But anyway, Wan-Bissaka played 16 out of 18 games this season and 3.3 tackles per game and 1.3 interceptions per game. Luke Shaw has uh, kept new signing Alex Tellers out of the team, which is surprising because he was regarded quite highly in uh, Portugal. He can either play left back or in a left centre back in a back three, depending on what formation they go for. I don't know why. There's just something about Luke Shaw that I can't stand. I, to be honest, I, just, I think he's every quite time underrated. I see his face on the screen, I just think you, mate, are a bit of a bastard. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I see what you're saying, but I do actually quite like him. I think he's quite underrated, and I know United fans actually really disliked him for a while. But keeping Tellez out of the team, you know, he, he can't be doing that bad. And I thought he looked really good against Liverpool. He does seem to be a bit more offensive than Wambasako, or definitely better offensively. Anyway, he's he's, he's pretty offensive. Yeah, I'd, I'd find that about him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, Harry Maguire has played all of their games so far this season. And he'll either be alongside Eric Bailly or Lindelof. He plays. Uh, he's made two tackles and three point five clearances per game, and he's definitely going to be tough for us to get past. All right. Well, that's enough of that lot. Anyway, let's come back onto Fulham. Um, Bobby Reed is going to miss Manchester United because he's accumulated five yellow cards this season, and of course, Anthony Robinson will also be serving a suspension. Baldo, what team are you putting out for this one? I don't think you really need to make too many changes. I think our squad, you know, things fit really easy. So in that Bobby Reed, you know, right wing back role, you just stick Ted Kenny Tete there. And in that Anthony Robinson role, you just stick Joe Bryan there. I think that I quite like that about the squad. You know who the next person is. So those would really be the only changes that I would make. Loftus Cheek, I think, you know, he was ineligible last time. I think he probably stays out of that side because we've seen what Luckman could offer the squad. So those would really be the only changes I'd make is the suspended players. Just keep it. And then the rest of it, just keep it like that. And for you, Will? Yeah, for me, it really depends if like Lamina, Kearney and Mitro are back. I'd keep the same team and put RLC, you know, Loftus-Cheek in for Bobby and Brian in for Robinson. But if Le- if Lamina is back, he might replace Reed and, and play him alongside Anguissa, or he might be the one to replace Bobby Reed because he sort of played centre mid a bit last game or right mid. Um, Mitro could also come into the side. However, for me, I'd just replace Brian with Robinson, Loftus-Cheek with Bobby, and maybe bring in Mitro for Cav. So you'd have Cavalero out the side altogether? For, for me, yeah, I, I still think Mitrovic is just a better striker, even if he's slower, even if he's not going to be there for some attacks. Cavalero just isn't the one. All right, fair enough. Let's come on to a score prediction then. Baldo, what are you thinking? Um, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but I just think Man United are going to have too much for us. And 
even though we have, as I said, improved defensively, I just think, as I, as I said, the three attacking teams we played, they've got the best. So I can easily see them scoring one, maybe two. And going forward, I honestly, I can't see us scoring either, uh, or scoring any rather. So I'd say probably a 2-0 win for them, if I'm being honest. Well, United haven't been that prolific recently, though. They they drew nil nil today with Liverpool, which is always a tough game. But Liverpool are a little bit out of form at the moment. Um, they narrowly got past Burnley the other day with what the commentators described as a this amazing goal from Paul Pogba. But really, he hit it; it was deflected and went through the keeper's legs, who dived out of the way. So on another day, that that could have been another game where they didn't get any goals. Um, Game before that, they beat Villa 2-1. Then it was just a 1-0 win against Wolves. So the last few games, they haven't really been that prolific. They've just been getting by, really. So I reckon we could get something out of this. Um, I'm not going to say we're going to win, of course, because we're we're depleted. But I reckon we could get a point. So I'm going to say one all. What do you reckon, Will? I'm going to also say a point. And despite me saying Bruno's good and Rashford and all this attacking stuff, I'm going to go for a nerve-wracking nil-nil. Uh, I think we can, if we can almost hold on against Chelsea with 10, I don't see why we can't hold on against United with 11. And it, like I say, this is going to be one of our hardest games this season, especially with the form they're in. But if we can get a nil-nil with not even our strongest squad, because obviously Bobby and Robinson are out, then then I'm happy. Did you see Bruno Fernandes' reaction when he was taken off today? Did you watch the yeah, game? Fuming. And, yeah, fuming. Absolutely fuming. Yeah, a bit petulant. All right. Um, well, well, that's your lot this time. Uh, Will and Baldo, it's been a pleasure as always. J-Matt will be back with Matt Dom and Don Love to record straight after the United game. So you'll have your next show delivered to your device on Thursday morning UK time if you subscribe. And if you don't yet subscribe, then go on, treat yourself. Thanks for listening in any case, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Fulham.